Good morning and welcome to your shift. This is Shift with C. And today on our show is so exciting because it's our first show. Um, I originally started this with a friend. We were doing para C, um, which means with C. And um, unfortunately, she moved across the world. No, I'm joking. She moved across the border. So we're in two different countries, even though we're pretty close. But it um, caused us to kind of take a pause on our our own um, podcast. And so instead, I decided why not continue and she'll be on the show um, in the future. But for now, we're going to continue on because life is still happening. And it was a great way for me to check in with myself, a great way for me to check in, um, just like hold accountability with like honesty. I find sometimes with socials and social media, we often get lost in trying to be perfect and trying to like smooth over everything. And even in this podcast, I'm like, oh my gosh, did I sound ridiculous? Am I rushing things? Is it too much? Um, and I'm also like, uh, I have to be on. And like, that's just a conditioning that we have socialized. It's not real. We don't have to be on all the time. There are going to be days where I'm not going to be my best. There are going to be days where I don't sound my best. There are going to be days where people are probably going to be like, oh my God, she sounds like shit. And that's okay. I think um, more so it, this is about like, I need a platform that I can be real and honest with people and allow people to take what they want from this. And I hopefully will inspire and aspire others to do the same in their own lives. Um, this entire, I, I think with our last podcast, um, we were just trying to keep it real raw and uncut and we were just talking about whatever. Um, hi Thea. Thea's talking. She's saying hi. Um, and that's part of the podcast that we kept going is that babies are going to be in the background. Life is going to be happening because of the fact that this is real life. Like we're real life people. Um, we don't always just have the glam of sitting in a studio and doing a podcast. So this is for every single person that also lives a real life, whether you're male or female or, um, non-binary and you are just choosing to listen to something that's real raw and uncut. Um, not much editing will go into this because I, one, don't have much time. I know I can make time. I know for the people that are all like, oh, <laughs> being too busy is an excuse. And I get that. Um, part of me um, feels the same way. And the other part of me is like, well, no, sometimes people are just really freaking busy. Um, so some of it will be edited in the future if I find out how to do that kind of stuff. I'm not good. I'm not tech savvy. Um, I'm a 91 baby, but I still act like I'm from <laughs> the generation of my grandmother. Um, so it's very telling of um, it, anything new in regards to technology um, for some reason makes me feel incompetent. I feel like I cannot, I, I just like almost like freeze and I'm like, Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm all of a sudden like illiterate. I am incompetent. I'm, there must be a word for not tech savvy. That's along the lines of those things. So anyway, um, so if anyone ever wants to edit my stuff, visually or um uh, audio then yeah you can you can definitely volunteer to do that we will we will take that um the suggestions and the volunteering and the um the help wherever we can get it so um originally um our last our last podcast was a lot it had a lot to do with 
um, just being raw and uncut and just going with the flow and talking. And so I want to keep that same genre of like going with the flow, talking, um, you know, not too much editing. However, I think this, this changes a little bit because I do want to really incorporate my passion and, um, and helping others. And for me, life is about education and education is not just in a book open a book, read it and do a test. All education to me is like learning anything at any given time, any moment. Um, it's one of my favorite things is to learn. And one of my favorite things is to teach. And so I think that if my gift can be to teach others what I've learned, um, and a big motto is if I know better, I do better. If I don't know better, (laughs) I learn to do better. Um, and if I haven't learned it, it's because I'm not ready to. Um, and if I, and, or I'm not open to it because I'm closed off. And so how do I adjust myself to be a little bit more open? So I think that, um, these are big life lessons to me. It's going to be something I constantly repeat. It's going to be something I constantly talk about, but I think that, um, that is important to me. Um, I did a life coach program back in 2015 and I thought, oh, you know what? I want to be a life coach. I want to empower people. Um, when I was 17, I wanted 17, 18, I wanted to become a midwife and I worked really hard at trying to get that. And then I had children and, uh, becoming a midwife is a very huge commitment and there's a lot to go through, even through the process of, um, application process is extremely in-depth and they want to know how you're going to support yourself through the intense school of midwifery and then how are you going to be on call if you have children if you have this if you have that and so I constantly put that on the shelf because I was like okay I can't accomplish it I can't accomplish it so my journey my goal is maybe not to become necessarily a midwife but I would love to be a midwife professor a midwife teacher Um, I would love to teach people who are going into the field Um, not just the physical importance of what a midwife is because a midwife is a lot of like, um, physical support, right? You're, you're essentially a nurse or nurse specialist or doctor that is delivering babies. That is your job. Hi, Thea. Hi. Are you telling your side of the story? Yes. And so, but the, the lovely part that I've experienced from midwifery is the empowering part, what it's taught me, how I, I've had a midwife with all three of my children and I've had doulas with some of my children. Um, and the difference between a doula and a midwife is a doula is more of like a support, um, a yes, a physical support, but also an emotional, um, an emotional support as well and mental support through your delivery and sometimes part of your pregnancy and sometimes post-pregnancy. Oh, that's a new scream she's doing. It's like, ah! it's a high-pitched. Um, and then the other aspect of it is um, the midwives are more medical supports. Do you not like this topic, Thea? Is this not the topic you want to talk about? So that has always been my lifetime goal, but I, I naturally have this ability to me, and this is uh, just something I've been told, it's, it's not necessarily something I just believe in myself, is that I naturally have like a therapeutic part of me that naturally likes to take apart people and, um, and not in a bad way, like just, okay, this person is like, this is what's coming up for this person where does that come from? I'm very curious when it comes to people and their, um, history, their background, who they are, um, where they come from. Also like is, um, you know, why might they might, why might this bother them? How do we take that apart? How do we help that? How do we support that? So a lot of times people have said, Oh, you should be a psychologist. Like, why are you going to school for, midwifery or why do you want to become a midwife and there's two parts of it one I find that 
naturally people just come to me with their issues no matter what. I just like even random people in the street all they'll tell me their whole life story and I'm like, "Oh, I don't I don't know that I can help you. I don't know you or whatever." But naturally I want to. Like naturally I'm like, "Okay, let's talk about that. Let's like let's let's figure it out. Let's let's take it apart." And the other part of me is like I sometimes I take those things very personal. So I I wouldn't be able to be a psychologist because I would take everything home with me and I would be like, oh my God, I need to save them. Um, And I don't know if that's my own wounds probably of like always feeling like I need to take care of things um, emotionally and, um, and always feeling like I have to take care of somebody. So I think that um, we're also in the car. So everybody that's hearing all these sounds, (laughs) drive with me. drive with me and shift with me um we're a squirrel this is part of my character is if you are someone that knows me I would be voice noting you these voice notes um shout out to all my um my soul friends um they're like my soulmates, but in friend form and this is what I would be doing I would be voice noting them on my way to wherever I'm going and I would be telling them a story, um, telling them a story through voice note. And so that's kind of going to be the idea of my podcast is like, that's where we're going with this. We're going to be doing voice notes, um, essentially on a podcast because that's where things just flow. Even if there's like squirrel, 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 this, this, that you're going to hear things. Um, you're going to hear me completely distracted and that's okay. So back to why I think that psychology wouldn't be good for me is because I would want to save everyone. And that's part of my trigger. Part of my triggers in my life where that comes from, we'll get deeper into that is this is part of the, if I know better, I do better. And I know myself well, I know that I'm a really good psychologist. I know that that's probably a purpose in my life is to, to help people naturally in teaching them through some form of therapeutic, um, treatment. And that's maybe why life coach attracted me. Um, and then I went on to doing uh, my own work, um, in a program that I did, which was like, uh, emotional trauma, um, dealing with like childhood trauma. And so I did that, um, and then once I did that program several times, but my man, my mentor who I have known since I was about 12 or 13, she wrote this program. She was a correctional officer for 20 years. This is this, this whole entire podcast already is so squirrel. So I don't even know if this would be considered ADHD, but if you got it, you understand it. Um, I don't like labels, so I'm not going to put that out there, <laughs> but maybe, maybe I have a little bit of it. Maybe we all have a little bit of it. Um, cause we're so overstimulated all the time, especially moms, moms and parents, dads is overstimulation all the freaking time. Uh, I swear. So if you have an issue with swearing, just completely ignore the swearing, just pretend it to be like silent bombs. Um, when they happen, um, it's part of my expression. It is not to offend anyone. So in regards to my my mentor, I've known since I was 12 or 13. She used to be a correctional officer for about 20 years. She did some, she was a social worker background. She then ended up retiring. She wrote a program, wrote a book. Um, and this was a huge, she used part of her program with her Um, through her counseling years in both the um, juvenile system and in the um, adult system. And I think that it really made a huge difference. She noticed a huge difference with people. And she said, um, and, and and then she went on just to work with adults because she believed the program helped adults and that children need to be not the problem. It's, you know, once we're adults, we, we then, not that we're the problem, but that we are able to then recognize problems and, and heal them as children. We, our job as children is to play, grow and learn. It's not to be the problem or be fixed, right? We're not, 
we're, we don't need to be fixed. It's the adults in our life that need to be fixed. And then once the adults, hi, Mia! Once the adults in our lives can be fixed, then we as children will learn um, based on watching the adults around us. Um, so I met her when I was 12 or 13. Um, because my mom thought I was the problem. She, like I said, she didn't know better. That's what she thought. She thought I was acting out. I was a teen. I was acting out. And so I must be the problem and I need to be fixed. And so, um, she reached out, she found this lady who is my mentor. Shout out to Ruth. Ruth has passed on now. Um, but, uh, she, she met this lady and she said, you know, I need your help. My, my daughter needs to be fixed. And Ruth was like, Oh, I don't do children. I do parents. So if you think your daughter needs help, you need to look at yourself in the mirror and you need to say, and this is going to offend people because people don't like to hear this. But, um, so then, you know, she said, you need help. And by you becoming your best self and healing your own shit, your own wounds, you're going to see your daughter in a different light. And she will hopefully be able to mimic based on uh, watching her mom get better. And, you know, it's never too late. It becomes harder as kids get older, but it's never too late. Um, I love this woman's hat. It's so freaking cute. It's like this little dark gray hat and it's like rolled up. Oh my God, it's so cute. Um... Yeah, it is cute, Thea. Do you like it too? Do you like it too? I'm going to try to keep this under like 45 minutes to an hour because we're trying to keep sessions to a minimal in timing. Cause I don't know if you guys like to listen to long sessions or short sessions, but we're going to, we're going to figure it out. We're going to time things. We're going to um, decide what we like, what we don't like. Um, a little ASMR, um, for you guys going on in the background. Um, so I think that essentially what happened was at that point, my mom did, um, some of the program. I don't know that it worked for her. I don't know that she liked it. I don't know that she, I think she took things that worked for her from it. And I think that's what healing and therapy is about. I think it's not, hi, Thea. Hey, girl. Hi, it's a cute girl. Thea's going to be one in two days. She's going to be one in two days. She's going to be a big girl. She's going to be a big baby girl. She's got big teeth, girl. How many teeth you got? How many teeth you got? She's like, don't even, don't even, mom. Don't even, mom. You don't want mommy to pay attention to your teeth? No. <laughs> you got teeth? You do. They're cute teeth. How many you have? Those are your eyes and your eyebrows. And your nose. Oh, don't poke yourself in the eye. That would hurt you. Yeah, that would hurt you so bad. Ow. Oh, just poking yourself in the eye. You got nice long lashes. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Um, yeah, so I think that, I think what happened was, um, then when I was 17, I had a baby and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And so again, <laughs> my mom was like, well, you should go see this program, see if it works for you now. Cause you're older. And, um, now that you have a baby, maybe she'll let you do the program. So I, again, I revisited this program when I was I don't know, 17, whatever. And, um, I just couldn't really understand it. It just, I, I did maybe two sessions and I got over it. And then fast forward to how many years later? So 17 and then, uh, maybe seven years later, eight years later, I was 25. I was on the second child and I just was like, I don't even know what a healthy relationship looks like. Um, and I went to her and I was like, I need help. I don't know what to do. I've had these like 
shitty, you know, these two shitty relationships in my life. And, you know, my childhood was very, um, I guess some people would call it traumatic. Some people would call it, call it, uh, abusive. I call it, I call it. Um, and so I had to really sit with myself of like, I don't really know much about anything. Um, and I remember, you know, I, I kept saying, you know, if people would just be this and if people would just be that and if, if, you know, the people in my, oh, oh, if the people in my relationships would just be healthier, then I would be, uh, then I would have a good relationship. And I remember she told me, girl, you are as healthy as the relationship you are in. And even if you are healthier than the other person, so say you come into this relationship and you know a little bit more about the about yourself than the other person. This is what it's like when you have children, when you're having a conversation with people. This is what it's like. This is what it's like. They just say, hello. Hello, pay attention to me. Look at me in the eyes. Look at me in the eye. <laughs> you don't want me to? I know. She wants She wants the device that I'm recording on. She wants the device that I am recording on, but the device says, Oh, no, Jose, Jose. Toti, toti, noti. How about this? How about, how about we give you something else? Um, so I think what happened then is I had a realization that it's like, it's me. It's me that needs to be fixed in that time. Not that I, I'm broken and that all of a sudden I need, I need to repair. It's that I need adjusting. I need adjusting. I need tune-ups. I need to understand why I'm even in a relationship. Like She was like, you, you could be healthier than the other person. You've done a lot of therapy. I've been in therapy since that, when I could remember because my mom always was trying to find new therapy for me. And so the one thing that my mom gave me was resources. I knew how to search resources. I knew how to look for people. I knew how to, um, you know, say, oh, nope, this therapy isn't working for me. That therapy isn't working for me. What, where do I need to go? How do I need to find new things? Like what, uh, researching different types of therapy, researching different types of people that offer therapy. Do they offer more? Are they... And I always believe like, you know, we're four part human. So we're emotional, intellectual, uh, physical and um, spiritual. We need to have something that supports us in all four realms. If your therapist is only supporting one realm and they don't understand the four part human, then you might not have the best therapeutic experience because other things are happening during that time. And, you know, you're. I believe that your body is attached to everything that's happening. So you having an emotional day, some part of your body is going to be affected by it, whether we look at it or not. That's why there's all these, now everybody's talking about, you know, a somatic experience in the body. Somatic experience has always existed. It's just now we're we're talking about it. Everything has always existed. We're just now maybe seeing it more because we've got TikTok with thousands of views looking at things at a time, right? So the somatic experience is only the idea that our bodies are connected to our emotions. They're connected to our intellectual. They're connected to our spiritual. It's in four part human experience. So if I, if my shoulder is messed up and I go to the doctor and they're like, there's nothing wrong with your shoulder. Like I'm sure a lot of people have had these experiences where you go to a doctor and they're like, there's nothing wrong with your your stomach. We've done all the tests. Or there's nothing wrong with your shoulder. It's not broken. It's not pulled. You know, it's probably just irritated the way that you slept, blah, blah, blah. Or it's retaining trauma. Or it's retaining emotions. Or it's where you keep all your stress. Well, what is stress? Stress is emotional um, and intellectual combinations just holding in your body. Right. So we have to understand 
what the emotion is. We have to understand the emotional connection to get to, okay, that, why is that shoulder hurting anymore? Because it doesn't matter how much physical entity you add to your body. The last thing to show up is your body. So if I've been holding in shit, like literally my emotional and mental shit for months, I'm probably going to be constipated. It's probably going to be my way of dealing with stuff. A lot of people who don't talk about their shit are constipated. And how I know this is because I'm one of those people. (laughs) And sorry if that's too much information, but that's really what it is. It's I am, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about it because it's not safe for me to talk about it. I haven't found a safe space. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to hold it in. And what is that going to affect my body? And eventually how my body reacts to it is I'm constipated. I cannot go. I literally cannot release my shit. And so until I'm talking about it out loud, until I'm saying it in a safe space, and I'm not telling you to go talk to a neighbor or some random person that you see in a parking lot, I'm telling you to talk about it. Like word vomit is a real thing. I've I've been there. I've done it. I've also known people to, I'm, I'm like a walking sign that says vomit on me with your words because people come up to me all the time. But I just, I'm saying find a safe space, find someone who can help you process the shit and find someone who can actually ask the right questions to get you to where you're having your own realizations. That is, that's a good therapist. That's a good coach. That's a good therapist. That's a good trauma coach, whatever you want to call it. That is someone that's going to say, Hey, like, is this really that? Or what about this? Why are you feeling like that? Like someone who reflects your stuff that can help you process your stuff and, and you come to your own realization so that you come to your own learning, right? That's the best form of healing. The best form of healing is saying, I can connect two things to what's happening and I can come to a realization and I can then recognize it and let it go. If I can't recognize it and someone else has to tell me about my stuff, it's going to take me a long time to process that. And I'm going to go through a lot of things before I come to the actual realization of myself. If I'm telling you that I think this, yes, you might now have it in the back of your mind, but it's not your idea. It's not your realization. It's someone else's realization. And therefore you're not processing it the same way because you haven't come to, you're not ready to come to that. So when you do, when you know better, you do better. When you decide to open up a little bit more, you become open to the idea. Hey, so is he so yummy? He's eating seaweed. And he loves it. And it's yummy. Nom, 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 nom. That's what she says. Um, so back to that moment where I had that realization, I end up doing the program with my mentor. I end up then volunteering through her program and leading, uh, being a, a, a leader of her program as well, which I then, you know, oversaw and taught people the same things that I had learned and worked through. And a big part of her teaching was, I don't want you teaching my shit until you've dealt with your shit. So it was a long time of uncovering my shit. And while I'm still doing the program, hello, while I'm still doing the program, I'm still having to deal with my stuff because sometimes, again, one of my big things is one, being a pleaser, which I think a lot of us can relate to. And two, trying to take on other people's stuff, trying to take care of everyone. So when I hear someone in the group that I'm leading being like, this is my life and I can't fix it, immediately the child in me that still might be attached to the idea of I need to fix it is immediately going to be like, how can I fix it for that person? Instead of understanding that has nothing to do with me and like that's part of my tools is, okay, Sierra, I hear that that's coming up for you. Um, it's not your problem, not your job to fix it, not your job to take care of them. Your job is to take care of yourself and your actual children, the people that do depend on you and nobody else. It's not your job to take care of anybody else. And people are going to even get triggered by that because we often feel and we often think 
that we need to take care of anybody besides ourselves because we've been conditioned okay I have to take care of so and so I have to take care of so and so but but that person needs me but that person but I I'm doing better than that person so I have to take care of them no we don't need to take care of anybody else and we are all capable of taking care of ourselves unless we have you know obviously a health condition that prevents us from taking care of ourselves um unless we have you know children who are dependents on us or if we have dependents on us uh, outside of that then it's not our job it is our job to take care of ourselves and do so in the best way where we can then be able to support other people in certain circumstances if we want to and if we choose to. But it's our jobs first to take care of ourselves. What do I need to take care of on a daily basis? And a lot of my mentor's program um, had to do with the Maslow theory. What are actual things, you know, What? It, what how do we become a overall balanced person what does that look like what do we need in the maslow theory and how do we look at the levels to get there and i mean before even the maslow theory before the even triangle the visualization of that triangle occurs the the base is your sleep well you know sometimes when you're a parent sorry guys we uh we got disrupted for a moment because i had a phone call a phone call. Um, yeah, a phone call. Yes, you got a phone call. Someone's calling you. Leave a message at the beep. <laughs> Is that funny? You've got uh, seaweed all over you. You gonna smell like the sea, huh? You wanna smell like a sea, you little turtle? Yep, she's a turtle. She's a sea turtle. It's a sea turtle on the land it's actually a rainy day today so you could be in the sea <laughs> you could be in the sea is that funny maybe your hair was wild wild creature in the amazon <laughs> it's so yummy the yummy seaweed um anyways i don't even sure where i was but you get the theory, you get the Maslow theory. We'll probably go over the Maslow theory multiple times. But the important thing is, if you're a parent, you're probably not getting a lot of sleep. If you're a person that works overnight, probably not getting a lot of sleep. If you're insomniac, you're insomniatic, you're probably not getting enough sleep. And again, that's a condition of emotional and mental um chaos right it's it's something that has you you've put yourself you've you've come off of the circadian rhythm for so long and now you have a condition of insomnia because you've actually conditioned your body not to sleep and now you want to sleep and you can't sleep so i don't know what the accent is for but i'm going to tell you that you can live a life that's a little bit easier and i'm learning in my life right now not to be perfect again i'm not coming on here to tell you guys what oh i'm i'm so much better than you because i know all this information i know a lot of information and i should want to share it with people so that they can take whatever information they want and when you're ready that information will come to you and you'll say oh i like that information i'm going to take it i'm going to learn from it and i'm going to do better because when i know better i'm going to do better when i don't know i find i look I'm, I'm curious and when I keep the curiosity open it allows for my body to look for other things to want to receive other things and I always say this statement I've said it since I was young whatever it is I need to know the universe shows me the universe tells me the universe gives to me I am receptive to receiving whatever I need to know I'm receptive to learning whatever I need to learn. I'm receptive to evolvement. It is easy for me to change. It is easy for me to evolve. It is easy for me to become the best version of myself. When we know this, when we accept this, we become it, we live it. And then when things do come, because, you know, we, we are not objects. We are subjects. We are subject to change. We need to change. We need to evolve. We cannot just stay static and still. We have to be able to say, okay, um, 
that that worked for me at some point in my life that protected me that was safe for me um that made that was good for survival but we're not trying to survive we are trying to thrive and I think when we start learning that I myself too you're you're gonna watch me in a lot of these episodes go through different aspects of myself different evolvements of myself you're gonna you're gonna see me go back and forth you're gonna see me one day be like oh my god this feels like a shit day and then you're gonna see me another day and be like okay I see I see she's like she's in a better mood today she's talking about different things there's going to be a lot of back and forth because I'm still processing things. I'm still learning at 32 what it looks like. Well, 31, I'll be 32 in a couple months. Um, what it still looks like to go through things. And at times I've thought to be a failure. I've thought, okay, I didn't, I didn't learn from that because here I am and here things are still coming up in the same aspect. Why, if I thought I dealt with that, is this still coming up? Well, because I didn't go deep, deep enough. Or because I didn't, I didn't go deeper. Like I had some concept of it and you know, the, the surface level of it, I, I, I understood and I knew, and I could recognize that, but there were other things that were a little bit deeper and those parts of me are still learning. And that's what I mean by nobody's perfect. A completely healed person. When people are like, Oh, I'm healed. Are you completely healed? Because I don't think that anyone's completely healed unless they've passed on. Maybe there are people who have come to their best self on this earth, but we are still human. We still have human experiences. If if life is happening, we are still happening. Our, 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 not that we're still happening, but if life is still happening, it's not happening at us. It's just happening. So if life is still happening, then the human experience is still happening. And that means that we are still inclined to that human experience. We don't just because we're healed, um, or we have, have done healing, um, doesn't mean that life experiences don't happen to us. And I think that I remember even with my mentor, I thought she was perfect. I literally was like, this person is perfect. This person is completely healed. They've done so much work. They wrote this amazing program. This, you know, this program has helped me. It is the only thing that, um, in a long time, in a long time, in, in all the therapies that I've done, um, that, yes, your seaweed, um, that, that actually works, that I actually saw, um, actual change I actually saw evolvement I actually saw um things triggers from years 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 actually be resolved and so I was a huge spokesperson for this program I was like handing out tickets like get your help get your healing because I really really believed in it and this my mentor really believed in me um and so in this process I'm like, this person is perfect. There's nothing. I almost looked at her in like almost like a godly way um, and not to insult um, the universe or the higher power or, or religion, but, but just in a way that I was like, wow, like, you know, her word is, 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 is bond. Her word is, is God because I was like amazed at how um, much work I had achieved through the healing process of her program. But I remember near her end of life, she was dealing with some illness and it happened so fast. And I remember in the end of life, there were things that were happening and, you know, there was things as leaders and as group, uh, the group leaders that ran um, the program that we had to, you know, there was, there was rules around, you know, keeping our stuff outside because we're here to help others right now. And then we deal with our stuff during, you know, group training and stuff like that um, with the leaders and holding ourselves accountable and still working through our stuff. And there were things that she would disclose during certain groups. And I would be like, oh my God, that's so not like her. Like that's so not, I mean, that's so not the program, you know, <laughs> like ta-ta, don't say that. Um, and I realized it was part of her human experience um, you know, she wasn't capable of s- certain things, like separating certain things, because obviously she was in a state of, which we didn't know at the time, in a state of where she was vulnerable and she was, um, 
getting ready to depart, right? And so I think that, ooh, I think that's when I realized that she was human, that she was, um, yeah, you're doing great. You see yourself in the mirror? See yourself in the mirror? Hi, Sia. Uh, you see her in the mirror? Hello, Sia. That's a cute girl. It's a cute girl. It's a seaweed girl. Mommy needs to wipe her hands. There's seaweed everywhere. All over them. You've been swimming in the sea. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Salty. Salty seaweed. Very salty. Yeah, that's egg. You're having eggs now. Eggs and seaweed in the sea. Um, so I think that that humanized her for me. And then when she passed, obviously that humanized her because she, she's not immortal she passed and I just thought she would never die I just was like no she's not gonna die she's gonna outlive us all and I think and it happened so suddenly so I think we have to remember that yes the human experience is still happening we're gonna have times where we're gonna be vulnerable there's gonna be times where there's gonna be grief and loss and grief is one of the most complicated reactions um, of the human experience and it doesn't there is no, you know, there, I mean, there, there's studies that have proven what is a normal reaction to grief and what does that look like? But even then every human experience is different and every human is different. So for me, my understanding is that we're subjects, we're subject to change. We're constantly changing and evolving. And that's when we're at our healthiest, when we can constantly change old ideas and bring up new ideas and challenge old ideas and challenge new ideas and challenge ourselves and challenge us what's working and what's not working and say, hmm, this works for me, this doesn't work for me. And that circles back to um, if I was a, a psychologist naturally in this world, maybe that is part of my gift to help un- unlearn my own behavior and help others unlearn their old behavior and help people by supporting them, by encouraging them, by empowering them through things that I've learned and vice versa. However, one of my also triggers, my childhood stuff, right, that 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 was my lesson and that those were my parents or whatever, was that I thought I needed to take care of everyone and take care of everyone emotionally. So even in these groups where I was supported by my mentor, um, constantly had to be like, Sierra, that's not your shit. You can't, can't take care of everyone. Can't take on that because it's not your job to. And that is part of the human experience. But where I feel comfortable is maybe in the medical field teaching emotional support for people because a lot of times people in the medical field it's they only see one way which is medical they don't see the four-part human um and that is important to me to incorporate all of it so that is why midwifery is so attractive to me because when I was 17 having my first baby or 16 going on 17 having my first baby I was terrified I thought I didn't know anything I thought Um, I couldn't get through it. I felt very weak at the beginning. And then my pregnancy is what empowered me. It's what made me feel strong. And the people that I had who supported me during my pregnancy, the midwives, the doulas, my labor was 12 and a half hours. I did it naturally. I pushed out this human. I got up after I pushed her out, walking like a normal person, just went for a shower, grabbed my baby and went home and had this surge of energy and was in total thrive mode, not survival, but thrive mode, like glowing, happy, radiant, baby to boob, you know, pushing through and thinking to myself, I can do anything now. I can do anything. And it's because I remember the midwife looking at me when, before I was, before I was due Um, And she said to me, listen to me, this is what your body was made to do. You're young, you're powerful, you, you know, this baby's going to come out easily, effortlessly, and you're going to make it look easy, and you're going to get it done. 
And she was so confident in that. And I was like, why is she so confident in this? Why is she so confident in me? Nobody had ever been confident in me in my whole entire life in this same capacity. And I had literally, I had literally convinced myself that I was small, incapable, um, weak, and that um, I was just going to have a life of suffering. That's literally what I was convinced at 16, 17 years old. This is what my convinced convinced idealism was of myself and someone just believed in me someone looked at me didn't even know me from a hole in the wall this tiny little thing probably 100 110 pounds maybe maybe and this is what they this is what they thought and I thought okay and then I remember going in you know to labor and I knew my body so well I knew when I was dilated I knew I didn't even have to ask anything I remember the nurse telling me there's no way that you're ready to push and I said listen woman I am about to push oh there's no way and she left the room and I opened up my legs and the baby was crowning that is how powerful at 16 17 year old 17 years old I was and I didn't need anyone I didn't need that midwife to tell me that but her telling me that made me go in myself and question how could she see something like that in me that I don't even see in myself and then something shifted that day that made me question what did she see? even now at 31 going on 32 years old 15 years later 15 16 years later I'm now going back into those moments and I and I think of those moments and I think what did she see in me that I couldn't see in myself and I still remember those moments vividly. And I still remember that nurse in, you know, telling me, oh, there's, you don't know your body very well. You don't know, you don't know. I know better than you and there's no way that I, that you could be ready to push right now. And I knew. And at that moment I said, woman, you don't know, you don't know shit. You might, you might know the medical system. You might have read some books, but you don't know my body better than me. And so I advocated for myself I called my doula over. I said, listen, I need to get ready to push. I'm going to open my legs. And this is what's going to happen. And she said, yep, okay. And she believed in me. Another woman who was older, maybe not in the medical field, but a doula to support me. And she said, you know what? If you think that, then that's what we're doing. And I opened my legs and the baby's head was crowning. And I think in that whole entire pregnancy, in that whole entire pregnancy and in that labor, I stayed calm. I stayed collective. I knew who I wanted in the room, who I didn't want in the room, who I wanted to leave, who I didn't want to be there, who who I was sensitive to, who I even that that nurse I said I don't want her in my room again. Um, who I who I was in those moments was my strongest self, and I think back to every single birth that I've had, I've come alive into a different person. And that is why midwifery was so attractive to me because I really believe that as women and even as fathers, there's a lot of connection that we can have um, for empowerment of ourselves and the know of ourselves. And if there's not children, <laughs> hi yo, hi yo, hi yo, little big teeth. Hello, little big teeth. Are you ready to come out? Okay, let's wipe your hands. Um, I think that once we know... Um, once we know better, we do better. And, and, and in those moments, I thought I knew nothing. I thought I knew nothing before those moments. And until those moments, I proved to myself, I know a lot more about myself when I start to ask those questions. And what does that woman, what did this woman see in me that I couldn't see in myself? And how did she see that in me? And, and how do I become that? Or how do I, uh, how do I believe that? So, I think this is, there's a lot on this. I don't even know half of the things I've said because that's the other part of it um, that you'll know is that sometimes I say things I don't even know I if I'll remember them tomorrow and what this recording will be, but we'll circle back. Um, sometimes I'll circle back, sometimes I won't, and uh, just be patient with me. It's a process. Um, we're doing 20 things at a time. We're overstimulated. Um, but I hope this helps you understand that there is going to be a lot of information that you might take from this. There's going to be a lot of information you might not take from this, but part of the entire process is when we know better, we do better. And what, and I know that's a kind of like a cliche line that a lot of people use, 
but what it it really it really does mean what it means. It really means that when we're open to receiving, there will be information that will come. And when we're open to learning, there will be information that we can learn. And we do not have to be stuck in the same way. And a life that is ready to receive in thriving is a life that says, um, this is I take full responsibility, full responsibility of my life and taking care of myself. And that's the only person I'm responsible for taking care of. Obviously, if I have children, those are also people that I need to take care of. But everybody else is not a need to take care of. It is my full responsibility to take care of myself in order to be able to give back when I can and when and when I want to. So if I want to be able to give back without draining my own my own cup or whatever you want to relate it to, then I actually have to be open to being my best self. I have to be open to receiving what I need to receive to take care of myself. And um, when we take full responsibility of our lives, we can choose to do that. We can choose to be better at everything in our life and we can choose to learn differently and we can choose to unlearn the things that are no longer working for us, the things that no longer serve us, the things that keep us from holding back. And I hope that the moments where I have learned different things in my life um, will be eye-openers for yourself and also in different contexts. It doesn't need to be the same story. Our experiences are going to be different. Our stories are going to be different. But what we channel and what we take from those same experiences or different experiences or from stories is that we're going to be able to connect and we're, we're going to be able to learn differently together and we're going to be able to shift. And shifting is is why I chose shift with C it's why I chose, you know, welcome to your shift because this is a lot of work and it's going to take a lot of work to shift. Um, and I believe in you and I want you to believe in yourself and I want you to know that you're just, you're good. Just as you are, you are not broken. You are not here to be fixed. You're here to be supported. You're here to learn. You're here to shift. And whatever you choose to learn, whatever you choose to know, when you know better, you'll do better. When you learn better, you'll do better. Um, And you're good just as you are. And Thea thinks so too. And I hope that uh, today or tonight is a great evening, a great morning, a great day. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Can you say bye-bye? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. She's waving. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.